Okay, so you know I love good wordplay. And Third Love is crushing their wordplay here. When you have a bra that pinches or slips or just isn't comfortable at all or is comfortable but isn't your style, you've got problems. <laughs> How excited was Third Love when they thought of problems? Well done, Third Love. I see you. When you wear Third Love bras, you've got no problems. They fix the problem of size exclusivity with their famous half-cup sizes that revolutionized the industry by giving more options to find a bra that fits. And they fixed the problem of guessing what bra will fit you with their virtual fitting room and other helpful guides. A bra size chart, a bra 101 education section that's basically an FAQ for all your burning questions, and a ton of great reviews from real people. My sister just texted me, 99 problems, but pinching <laughs> isn't one. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code podcast15. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this, there is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth and you won't have to worry about tearing. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Welcome, friends, back to We Can Do Hard Things. Today, my boss is here. Yes, Abby's <laughs> boss is here. I'm just going to call her boss. Oh, that's right. I was like, <laughs> me? I know that's what I thought. Me? Obviously, I'm here. No, Natalie Portman. She's Abby's boss because she's the big boss of Angel City. She's big boss. Yeah, the soccer team. Yeah. Angel City of which Natalie Portman is the big boss yep. and you're a little boss. I'm little boss. She's big boss. Yeah. So big boss <laughs> is here today. Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman is an Academy Award winning actress, director, author, and activist. This summer, Portman will be on the big screen, returning to the Marvel Universe as Jane Foster in Thor, Love and Thunder. Natalie appeared in Jackie, in which she starred as First Lady Jacqueline F. Kennedy and was nominated for an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, a Screen Actors Guild Award, a BAFTA Award, and won the Critics' Choice Award. Portman devotes her time to several humanitarian causes with an emphasis on supporting women and girls. She is also a founder of National Women's Soccer League team Angel City Football Club, Woot. Woot. Woot, woot. Her book, Natalie Portman's Fables, is a New York Times bestseller. Portman is a Harvard graduate with a degree in psychology, and she studied at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. 
Natalie, welcome to We Can Do Hard Things. We wanted to start with the story about Abby's speech at Time's Up and your reaction to it and how that played into your formation of Angel City. Can you just tell us that story from your perspective? Well, thank you both for having me on. I love you both so, so much. And you've both added so much to my life already. So I'm so grateful to know you. Mm. I can't believe I know you as well as have you as my um, role models. But I, I think there's an even earlier Abby influence story on Time's Up that you might not even be aware of, was that your Wolfpack speech at Barnard was circulated among all the women very early on. And everyone started calling us like each other Wolfpack within our group in Time's Up. That was probably why they wanted you to speak (laughs) in the first place at our conference. That was already so influential and impressive, I think, just as just a way of thinking of other women and a new way of operating with other women. Um, I think after having been socialized for so long to see competition and different kinds of modeling of behavior between women, a way that we could compete together instead of against each other was pretty exciting. Um, And then when I heard you speak, and we all heard you speak at the Time's Up conference that year, it was mind-blowing to hear your experiences as virtuoso star best athlete in your field in the world and your experiences when you retired of being uncertain about your future and how different that was for your male counterparts and to understand that this very central cultural field athletics, I guess, in general, could be so, have such different valuing of male and female players really just, just blew my mind and really um, started me and a lot of other people thinking. So anyway, thank you again for that. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it forever, but it it really changed, changed so many of the way many of us have, have looked at at the world. Well, and then two years ago, I get this random IG direct message from Natalie Portman, folks. She says, can I call you? And I'm like, um, yes, Natalie Portman, here's my number. <laughs> and so then you call me and then you told me two years ago, and, and this must have been a year-ish later since the Time's Up event. And you tell me that you're starting Angel City FC in Los Angeles, and you asked me to be a part of the investor ownership group. And I just was floored. I was so beyond. And I just think it's so important for people to understand, though that this is the first majority women-owned soccer franchise for girls, obviously, and women, you also started it for boys. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, um, my son, who's 11 now, was an incredible influence and inspiration and wanting to create this. He got so into the women's world cup. I think he was around seven or eight and he had the experience of being, I guess he was like five or six at the men's world cup 
when France won, my husband's French. So it was like the greatest thing that could ever happen to a French <laughs> child. Yes. And then a couple years later, the U S women win the women's world cup. And I mean, it was waking up in the middle of the night, all hours. And I had to confront my own bias because the first time I saw him put on a women's game, I was like, Oh God, he's going to realize it's a women's game. Cause it was all on, mm-hmm. I think it was like Fubo or something that has like all the soccer games. And it just says like, France versus Germany. And I was like, he's not going to realize that it's women. He's going to realize it's women. He's going to turn it off. And he was like, amazing. The best players in the world. (laughs) Totally, of course, did not matter at all to him. And I was like, oh, this is my weird stuff from the way I grew up that I'm putting onto it. And of course he does. He loves soccer. He wants to see the best players in the world. If it's a bad game, he'll turn it off. If it's a men's game or a women's game, (laughs) if it's a great game, he will watch it like, you know, in the most participatory, like heart filled way. Mm. Um, And that's when I was like, oh, every kid should have the opportunity to see players of all genders be virtuosic. You know, what a dream to get to identify with, idolize people from all backgrounds, from all genders. um, Mm. And made it maybe like, oh, this, this needs more amplification. Like why does the world cup get this kind of amplification? And then national women's league games don't get Mm -hmm. the same kind of amplification. Yeah. And that teaches little boys not to respect girls in, in insidious ways. So when they watch people who are women achieve at things that they love, it helps early on even the playing field of how we perceive each other. Mm -hmm. Well, I think also we know that as girls growing up, we've been asked to get excited by and identify with and idolize male athletes. Mm -hmm. And that seems totally possible. Like I could grow up (laughs) thinking that, you know, Michael Jordan was great. And I was never like, I can't do that because we're not the same gender. So why, why not have the converse be true? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You said that girls know their power. We need the boys to know it. It's like we're not trying to empower girls so much as we're trying to stop the world from getting in the way of girls' power. Yeah. Exactly. Well put. Just Yes. That's good. Before we move on from the soccer, I just do have to say that that day that you called Abby, I have never in the history of our marriage sat with you so stunned I don't know what if you know how much it meant personally because she went through the ranks. All of the men, that's their dream afterwards is to own a team. That's the path. Like that's what you do. But the women didn't even allow themselves to dare that. So to have that be part of her life, I mean, it's part of the reason we moved to LA. Yep. It has been like kind of heart shifting and life shifting for Abby and and the other women. Well, it made me feel a little bit like I didn't dream big enough in some ways (laughs) because like here, Natalie Portman shows up with this like whole idea bubble that completely opened my mind to the rest of my life. So it's not just this. It's like, wait, I think I've been thinking. And and by the way, I'm the dreamer of all dreamers. Maybe I'm thinking a little bit too small about my life. Maybe there are other places. So 
I just think that sometimes it's really important that we show up for each other. And what people don't understand is the way that Natalie wants to operate this majority owned women's team is she wants to put women at the center and you offered ownership stakes to this team, to the other women that have built women's soccer mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. Nobody does that. You ask yeah. some of me and my former teammates, there's, <laughs> there's 11 or 12 of us that are, that are part owners of Angel City FC because you wanted to pay respect in some ways to these women who actually helped build women's soccer to where it is. There's just, you are, yeah. you are it's a good big stuff, boss. Natalie You're Porter. a big thank, boss. Thank you for saying that. But I mean, it's really built on you and your teammates' shoulders. I mean, you all started it. Your passion and dedication to it grew the sport, made it as exciting as it is today, started the fight for women's fair pay in the field. It's all of your work and dedication. We're like latecomers who are like, oh, they all did all this really awesome stuff. Let's be part of this, you know? It's also, I think, taking the experts who have built it, like Mm -hmm. your leadership and your knowledge and expertise as our guiding light. And I think it's, um, you know, it's been a big learning experience yeah. I think, for, for all of us in so many different ways, rapid in some ways and slow in other ways, but, um, definitely, you know, we rely on, on, on you and on, on our current players, the, the players for the team also, that I think there's so much leadership and knowledge that we're gaining and that's the center of it all. Mm -hmm. It just also show goes to show women in leadership positions and how they choose to start franchises or businesses. They don't forget how they got there. To me, that is an elemental part of starting the culture of something that can last for, for, for hopefully hundreds of years, right? So I'm just so grateful to you, big boss. It's competing together, what you just said. Exactly. (laughs) I love that, competing together instead of competing with each other. Natalie, this podcast is called We Can Do Hard Things. What is hard for you in your life right now? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Is that that vague enough? Um, Wow, I find everything so challenging. (laughs) But I try to pretend that it's easy. I mean, sort of, Abby, what you were saying about, I didn't even think that dream was possible. I feel like maybe my um, heroic flaw is that, like, I don't realize how big stuff is that I take on sometimes or how unprepared or um, unknowledgeable I am, which I'm grateful for because I think I do try things that are too hard for me Mm -hmm. and that I'm not really capable of. And then I have to kind of like meet the challenge or, you know, fail and get over failing quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm learning that it's something that's unusual to me that I'm like, Oh, sure. I'm basically a ballerina. <laughs> and then I get there. I'm like, Oh shit. I don't know anything about this. And then I'm like, Oh, gotta, gotta figure this out somehow, you know, gotta figure out how to fake it. Similarly, like, yeah, let's do a soccer team. And then I'm like, Ugh, I don't know anything about anything. I'm making mistakes on every front. I guess that's part of it is like not knowing that it's going to be okay if you fail. Yes. Unless you're like a heart surgeon, then not okay. Yes. <laughs> not okay to fail. And then also, yeah, maybe a little ignorance is, is bliss for taking on 
hard things. Yeah. Mm. I love that. So you just, you have the idea of just showing up and saying yes before you've decided you're completely qualified, which is like, is, is a huge, that's behaving like a man. Yeah. (laughs) Dude moves. Dude moves. Dude moves. Obsessed. Okay. You don't have to have qualifications. No. That's right. Hashtag basically about some things. (laughs) Those are big boss moves. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Think about how delicately you hold your baby. You dress your baby and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddlers in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Single-handedly impacting our environment for the better, that's a daunting task. But it's possible, and there are incredible people who are living proof that setting your mind to something and really being passionate about it will bring about change. The Goldman Environmental Prize is the world's foremost award honoring grassroots environmental activists. Each year, the prize honors six ordinary people who are making an extraordinary impact for the planet. If you look at this year's winners, you'll learn about Marcel Gomez, who exposed the links between a company's meatpacking practices and illegal deforestation, which led to a major boycott of that company's products. Amazing. You'll learn about Andrea Vidalre, whose relentless leadership resulted in California adopting its most ambitious emissions reduction regulations in history. And there are more amazing stories to discover. I can't imagine stories more important than these. Find the stories of this year's prize winners at goldmanprize.org. Okay, so we want to talk about some of the cages you fought and are fighting your way out of, which are common to so many of us. One of them is people-pleasing. So you said that the messaging to you as a young woman, as it was for many of us, was to focus on making yourself attractive and pleasing other people as opposed to focusing on what you want. So how did you break out of that cage of people-pleasing? Or how do you still? Because I assume it's a daily thing, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it's actually been something really amazing that Kara um, Nortman, who's one of my co-founders at Angel City, has influenced a lot because she introduced me to an executive coach because that's one of those roles that I took on that I was so unprepared for. Um, and one of the big things that I work on with her is she actually talks on it kind of about like personality types. And my type is very, very much about caring a lot about 
pleasing people. Um, and it was, first of all, interesting for me to understand that everyone operates in different ways and that might not be like a universal <laughs> motivating factor for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has to be like remembering and relearning how to recognize your own desires because when you're pleasing it's very hard to distinguish between what other people want <laughs> like you get really good at reading other people's minds yes and that's one thing which the coach that I work with her name is Diana um says remember that's also your superpower so that you don't mm. just hate it about yourself like you're really good at knowing what other people want and that's an asset and use it and speak up about it when you know that and then also paying attention and she calls it a, a full body. Yes. Mm. She has great meditations about it. Um, her organization is called conscious leadership. Um, and I highly recommend it. And they have some publicly available meditations about thinking about something that you have a whole body. Yes. Mm. To mm. and feeling it in your body and what that feels like. And then thinking about something that was a whole body. No. And <laughs> feeling what that feels like in your body and kind of naming like where that is in your body and recognizing that. And then also something that's in the middle, you know, mm. and understanding what that feels like in your body and then going for things that are whole body yeses. Mm. It's a physical experience and practicing what's the physical experience of, yes, I completely want this. I know I completely do not want this. Mm. And those, those in-between situations, which I think is kind of the biggest thing when you are uh, very aware of other people's. Yes desires for you. Have you been able to use that outside of your executive role? Like, have oh, you been able to use yeah. that in your personal, the whole full body thing? I think it's almost more in personal life than in executive mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Executive, I'm like, I don't know what anyone wants for me. I don't it's know what I want. full body, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, full body, no idea. Full what body is out of body. <laughs> exactly. It's out of body. With personal, I have more experience. I have, you know, 40 years experience of what everyone wants for me and understanding what everyone wants me to do. I think it's so, it's so important though, because I think when we try to think about what we want or what we don't want or what we think about something, or we always go to our mind to try to figure it out. But what we have discovered again and again is that it's never there. We do that full body thing, but we call it what feels warm or what feels cold or what mm. feels big or what feels like clinchy. <laughs> These are very... No, Expert but it's great words. to put it in any kind of physical terms because also that's objective experience. Yes. Whereas thoughts and feelings are so subjective and confusing, but like physical experiences feels good, doesn't feel good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who is a writer. She calls it like she wants to be more like her dog. Yes. That where she's like, person's nice, I go towards. Person not nice, go back away. Yes. <laughs> it really is relying on your instincts. The body yeah. knows. That's right. The body doesn't lie. And it's not like a dog is like, oh, but I want that person to think I'm sweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. Yes. Right. Also, dogs will bite. And yes. I think if we would bite a little bit more, <laughs> people would treat us better. That's right. <laughs> Um, what, was, what was your last <laughs> um, full body yes? Last full body yes. Hmm. Good question. I was just away from my kids a couple days working. And when I saw them, it was just so like, all I wanted to do was hug them. And that was very full. Like, oh my gosh, I, there was just pure, pure desire. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Ever since I heard what Aronofsky told you during Black Swan, I've been saying it to myself over and over. Do you know what I'm referring to? I'm wondering if it's the like, do one for yourself. Yes. Is that what you're? Yes. Can you tell that story? Because I've been saying it to myself and may tattoo it on my body. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy. It's a great direction. I try and remind myself too when I'm working, especially, but, um, you know, when you're shooting something, you do so many takes and you'll do the same thing over and over. And the director probably similar to like coach and athletics, like gives you feedback and then you try and alter based on the feedback to please them. (laughs) And, um, and Darren would do that. And then at the end, when he felt he got it, he was like, now do one for yourself. And that was always the best one. And it was wild because he would always do it when he felt like he got what he wanted. And then you just were completely free. And it was, and then he was saying like, those are the takes he ended up using. And it was really revolutionary for me to, to be able to, um, for the first time, really think about just for my own being. Mm. When you talk about desire and, and separating that from all the things in our head that we think we're supposed to want or want to do to please other people. What do you think about desire right now for you? What do you desire most in your life? Besides such an old lady answer. Besides like, sleep. sleep. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, that's where we like all the went. The only thing I could think of. I was like, I really want to sleep. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I hate that that's my answer. I I think I desire nature a lot too Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's like a post-pandemic nature and community. I think I like really miss community Mm -hmm. from being so isolated and really miss um, nature from, or not miss it, but like realize how important it is. I think when you're inside a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. What is your community? Is that friendship? Are you talking about friendship? Are you talking about families that you hang out with? What does community look like for you? We're trying to figure that out for ourselves. So I'm actually curious about. (laughs) No, I think it's the toughest. I think it's the toughest thing. I think it's like a very American predicament because we are so like, oh, you move where your career takes you. It's very removed from the village model of you live where your parents lived and where your grandparents lived. And then everyone's in the same area and you have like a structure and a ritual of, you know, people eat dinner together this day of the week and people go to church this day of the week. And there's this community game. And there are places that are still like that. But I think a lot of us are, and especially in big cities, are really removed from that. And then it's really complicated to find community. And then pandemic obviously exacerbated that. And then it does become around school or kids or kids Mm -hmm. sports. So like you end up hanging out with the people that you spend the most time with, which becomes um, a lot, definitely when you have kids like around that, um, which is amazing. You meet a whole new group of people. It becomes like you have several communities and not one. Mm -hmm. And there's people from work and there's the people from your kids and there's the people from your family and there's, but happen to be living in the same city as you, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, aren't necessarily like your immediate family. And it's, um, it's wild. And it's definitely another, another puzzle. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What are your words of wisdom around building community? Well, 
I think it's a good idea in general. <laughs> She's so, a full body yes to it. No, yeah, I, I haven't been though my whole life because I've been, I got sober and then my whole life was kids. Which then, was your community. Which that was, was my, you small, had a that was what laser I focus. Handle, right? Yes. But now the kids are getting older, Natalie. So She's going, oh shit. I'm like, oh shit. What? <laughs> I'm going to have to look at Abby forever. Right. <laughs> so we have been practicing. We've been practicing actually making friends and being in community, which means you have to call people back and you have to hang out with them, and remember things. It, it, and it's kind of beautiful. It's starting to make yeah. me feel very tethered, yeah. like a village. Um, and so I don't know. I recommend it, but maybe mm-hmm. not till the kids are older. Yeah. <laughs> so I just got into this community of my family. And yeah. one of the things that I'm kind of obsessed with is trying to be I don't know, the best version of myself parent-wise. And I'm curious because I've been reading a little bit about your theory on over-practice and under-practice with kids. Can you talk a little bit about that? Love it, by the way. So good. Oh, tell me more. Yes. What's my theory? So so let me, Natalie, here's your theory, okay? Yes. Your theory is that, and I'm going to say it in my own words, so it must might not be your theory. <laughs> this is what I want your theory to be. Great. Uh, I'll, I'll make it my theory because I want to please you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. So the idea that our culture does, of course, teach some genders certain things, over-teaches them certain things, and over-teaches the, another gender certain things. So what you talked about was that with your little boy, you might over-practice empathy and connection and sensitivity, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. because it's more important for boys to be that than girls, but because the culture has already handled the other side Mm -hmm. (laughs) for them. Mm -hmm. Am I getting this right so far? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now you're making it much more eloquent than I've ever said it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that makes sense. (laughs) 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 But yes, I've talked about it in relation to my children's book that I wrote where I made more characters, female, not more like it's balanced in the book, but that I had noticed that so many of the children's book I was reading were largely male characters. And so I felt that girls have over-practiced identifying with male characters, Mm -hmm. similar to what we're talking about with athletic heroes, um, that girls have the practice of identifying and also some of this pleasing, um, sensitivity that I'm, I, I talk about in myself, I think has to do with that over practice of getting into the mind of a male, you know, mm-hmm. protagonist and being like, what do they want? And so in fiction, whether it's books or movies or TV shows, I feel like I'm so used to like getting into the mind of the male. And that I think that the underrepresentation of female characters in those fictional scenarios where we do empathize and relate to mm-hmm. characters and particularly for kids that boys could use more practice at getting into the female mind and that what a different world it would be if boys were walking around imagining what the females around them were desiring the same way that we are raised to be like, how do they want me to act? How do they want me to dress? How do they want me to look? What shape would they like my body to be? That like, we're so hyper aware. And hopefully also that girls by entering female minds, practicing female minds, practicing, like puts them more into themselves as well and more into their own desire. I mean, I guess, again, this personal, personal challenge that I work through myself, I hope to 
change those patterns that I feel like I grew up with mm-hmm. for my kids, which I'm sure you have your own that you focus on with yours. I love it. It is. It's a difference just when it's asking your little boy, how do you think they're feeling? And asking your little girl, how do you feel? It's just practicing. Yeah. Well, my, my Wolfpack book, how oftentimes um, I'll be on stage and being asked about it and they'll say, this is a women's leadership book. And I'm like, it's actually just a leadership book. In fact, if you read it, the note to the reader invites men into the concepts that are written about it, though it's written from a woman's perspective. It also is just a leadership book. And and we have to invite men and boys into the mindsets of the perspective and the lens through all genders, not just women, right? We're talking about non-binary people too. So I love that. I've had men come up to me after speeches again and again and say, I love this. Who is the male version of this? (laughs) I'm like, wow. Like I've had to sit and listen and read, read so many books by men and I just find myself in it. Right. I don't say, damn it. Where's the woman version? (laughs) So fascinating. This is why I love the practice term because Mm -hmm. they're coming by it. Honestly, they've never practiced. It's that the way that we grew up having to practice the fact that he actually means everyone. Right. Right. It actually just means he, but we have had to practice so much reading as if that represents us, but they've never had to practice that way ever. And so I love that idea. I've never heard it put that way that visualizing a woman as a main character is not only liberating to a little girl to see herself as a main character, it's a boy practicing a world in which a woman is not just a supporting character. Yes. No, I think that's such a great way. That's such a great way of, of putting it because it is in all the languages that are gendered, you know, how you make plural is always male. Mm-hmm. And so it is true that male starts to represent everyone. Mm-hmm. If you have to go to a generic term in the previous version of they, like that we use in non-binary language, um, now that in other languages, that's kind of been the default setting that male was mm-hmm. non-specific gender. And that's really interesting. Just like one of those things of how language affects the way you think, mm-hmm. what would it be if the female could be universalized? Exactly. Like, like the female um, being it is really exciting to think about. Well, we say fireman. What's the big deal? We can all find ourselves in fireman. Yeah. Okay. If we can all find ourselves in fireman, then why don't we just for a century call them all fire women? Right. Because right. then certainly all the men can find themselves in fire women. It's really good. Yeah. And then everyone's like, well, sure as hell we can't do that. Right. <laughs> well, talking exactly. Crazy. It's so interesting to see how our own conditioning is like, oh, well, we should find ourselves in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then shouldn't well, the not to get too true. far on a gender thing, but in the language piece, Natalie, they've done studies where certain words, like if you, the word "bridge," in certain languages are feminine and certain languages are masculine. In the countries where they're masculine, people report bridges as being strong and fortifying. In the languages where they are feminine, wow. they are seen as precarious and beautiful. Wow! And so it. It, but it's a bridge. It's a bridge in both. Wow. It's just one's feminine and one's masculine. So it's just wow, it's fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. It's always so magical too when you like see that words like that, like inanimate objects are gendered in other languages. And you're like, what led the 
you know, table to being female <laughs> in this country and male in another. It's like yes. so, so wild. It's like a whole, it's whole own subject. Yeah. A whole pod, another podcast. Yeah. We'll do that <laughs> one next expert. week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Pod Squad, we know about you. You, like us, pamper your pups with clothes, fluffy beds, toys all the days, any little thing their goodest hearts desires. Why then would we settle for burnt, smelly pellets in their dog dishes? Maybe you don't. Maybe you go with the farmer's dog like I do for Seamus, and you reap the benefits of giving your dog real, fresh, healthy food. It looks like real food because it is real food. It's made with human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. It's even fun signing up. You answer questions about your dog, like what health issues they might have, how old they are, what breed and personality they have, and more. You're not only getting fresh pre-portioned food, you're getting fresh pre-portioned food for your specific dog. And your dog may just have a newfound respect for their human Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. Food made in human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. Maybe more. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things things. So sister and I were talking about this the other night in reference to you, because you said something about how when you were kind of led to become a leader through Time Zapper, a million things that you kind of had to give up likability privilege, just how we call it. Like sister always <laughs> says, okay, as a woman, you can either be liked or you can lead. So pick one. Do you think that that's true? Do you think that as a woman, leadership does mean giving away likability? <laughs> or control? It's a great question. Ability. It's a good question. Yeah. And that's, and that's a good distinction too. You definitely can't control anything <laughs> maybe ever, um, which is also part of the thing I'm trying to learn. Um, but yeah, I think it's true. I think you certainly have to, not care as much about likability. It is just inevitable that basically being specific about anything mm-hmm. makes you not likable mm-hmm. to somebody, mm-hmm. you know? And when you care about pleasing people and making people like you, then you want to just be universal, which is watery. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so to take a stand on anything is absolutely going to make some people go, Nope, not you, (laughs) not into you. And that is a big uh, step to take. I mean, it's those far braver things humans have done in life, but it was definitely a hurdle to, to, um, to get over. Mm -hmm. I like big boss. Yeah, I do too. I like big boss and I cannot lie. <laughs> um, oh, I was waiting. Of course, it took you us forty minutes, but we got there. And I just, I do want to point out that I feel like with men, there is more of you're going to take a stand, be specific. People aren't going to like you. But I think with women, it almost doesn't even matter what you're specific about, because the thing that is unlikable is the leadership at all. 
Yeah. Is mm-hmm. the having a strong opinion, mm-hmm. is the believing in yourself, is the wanting, is being ambitious or powerful or saying, I have something that is needs to be said. So it almost doesn't even matter what you're saying. It's that you're saying it mm. that bumps up on people's unlike, oh, there's just something about her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I just related so much to that. When you talk about Time's Up, you gave two really awesome pieces of advice, which I loved so much. One was gossip well. Mm -hmm. Can you Mm -hmm. talk to us about what it means to gossip well? Mm. Um, I think that something I learned is, and I'm still learning too, is the kind of language that we've used about other women that we've participated in, that I've participated in, I will like take responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Me of too. Of either, either saying it myself or repeating what other people say and things about women that like, and I mean, it can be about men too. I mean, gossip is, is, can be toxic about anyone, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, about all genders. Um, but about women, there's certainly certain, words that we use. And also something I realized was that sometimes people were telling me gossip as a way of tarnishing someone's reputation after they had done something to them, (laughs) which is a crazy revelation for me too, was like, oh, this director I worked with who I really liked and was very nice to me, told me this bad thing about another actress. And I repeated that information. Mm-hmm. And then I realized he did something bad to that actress mm-hmm. and is trying to like diminish her power so that he doesn't get in trouble oh. by saying that she's difficult or crazy or whatever. And, um, that was like 10 years after the fact, but I think that to be hyper aware of those words of crazy, of difficult, of bitchy, of, you know, the awful words that people use about women and then use the constructive parts of gossip there are constructive parts. If it is sharing information, like that is a dangerous person. Be careful. Mm. That is constructive. Like women talking to each other. There are constructive forms of gossip. This is a great person. You should go there. That person's really funny. Mm -hmm. You know, that person's really great to work with that person. Stay away. Careful. Mm -hmm. There's constructive and there's destructive. I'm against drama inducing gossip, like workplace drama stuff. I'm always like, there's no room for that, but I don't write it off completely because I do think there's the village really helpful to survival aspect of yes. gossip that should not be thrown out. Yes. I like that because like even in the locker room, sometimes we just all needed to vent just to vent to get the shit out and then we could move on. And obviously there's there's many more aggressive and violent things that can happen on movie sets and in locker rooms and whatnot that I'm not talking about that specifically, but like sometimes it's really good to just get a good vent session out. Cause that also, that's, that's like really community bonding bonding Mm -hmm. and building. And also you could probably use a nicer term for it, but what movements haven't grown out of some sort of gossip Mm -hmm. of me being Mm -hmm. like, I'm having a bad experience. I'm also having a bad experience. I'm also having a bad experience. Wait, we're all having it. That that means I'm validated that this is a larger thing. It's not me. We're all experiencing this and we can do something together about it. Like 
there's a form of gossip that's at the beginning of it. Maybe we can identify it more as like sharing (laughs) and maybe call gossip like the nasty stuff. But um, I think it's like important to differentiate those different forms of sharing negative experience that like maybe it's important to share negative experience that's happened to you directly versus someone you don't Mm. know that you've heard about. We have to just kind of be aware and question ourselves (laughs) when we're in situations where gossip arises Mm -hmm. like it's good is this constructive or destructive is this something i personally experienced Mm -hmm. well even gossip is a gendered word they would never say guys gossip when men are telling each other things it's sharing information and when women are telling each other things it's gossip even that word is gendered Mm -hmm. yes it's also brave to share what you went through because when the stamp on women who have bad experiences with people in power is that they're crazy or difficult, then you saying, I've had a bad experience with this person in power is a way of saying, I reject the notion that I am crazy and difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm naming this as what it is. Mm-hmm. And then other people can come out and be like, maybe I'm not crazy and difficult. Maybe my bad yeah. experience was because of the person who gave me the bad experience and not because of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And also, I think that like the journalists who have dealt with this found that people were most willing to talk when they realized that they were protecting other people by talking mm-hmm. and that you understand that you being silent about your experience is actually endangering people and like somehow complicit in a scenario. So again, I think that we have to be really careful about discouraging gossip completely (laughs) because there is a form of it that can be extremely necessary and it could be very silencing. And like you said, there is a gendered, I'm trying to remember where I read this, but it was saying that gossip was like the most free part of a woman's life because it's mm-hmm. where she can speak the truth. Mm-hmm. You know? oh, yeah. I, I read that same article, Natalie. I read that same yeah, article. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, I think it's probably the New York Times or something. I read. Yeah. Yes, I was yes, like, yes. cause I like remember underlying it. I'm like, where was this? Mm-hmm. But Natalie does have a specific sentence we can say, which actually makes me, I've used twice now. Uh And gives me goosebumps and makes me feel feelings. So she said, stop the rhetoric that a woman is crazy or difficult. If a man says to you that a woman is crazy or difficult, ask him, what bad thing did you do to her? (laughs) I don't know why that makes me so emotional. What bad thing did you do to her? Just the the alignment right away. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location. It's the neighborhood. It's so much more. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with state rankings and student-to-teacher ratios. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. So you are reprising Jane Foster 
in Thor, Love and Thunder, which I'm hoping is my epitaph. <laughs> um, you, you came back to the role in part because you said you were excited to play a character who, quote, is as weak as she is strong. I love that so much. Can you tell us what it means to be as weak as you are strong? I feel like we should all be striving for that. I was so excited, of course, to come back and work with Chris and Tessa again, and then to work with Taika, who's the director for the first time. He's extraordinary and just like knows how to make everything silly and profound at the same time, which is the best. Um, but I feel like there's this kind of misperception that a feminist character has to be kick-ass and like, like she's just strong and can win in the fight. But I don't relate to that unless she can also like fall apart. (laughs) That's just not my experience. Like I see a a woman who's just like, can just get everything done and just cool and collected and capable at all times is like really awesome and not me at all. (laughs) So (laughs) I am not relatable. Um, So yeah, it was really fun to get to explore a human who gets thrown into a superhero role. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, I guess I'm a ballerina. um, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It was really fun to do. And especially with like the humor that Taika and Chris and Tessa bring to it is joyful. Mm. We're going to switch gears a little bit right now and ask you some random questions. I want to know, Natalie Portman, what is the best advice you've ever received that you still rely upon? So I have a cousin, my cousin Daniela, who is like the closest person to me um, and is so wise. And once when I was like in the worst place in my life, she said to me, I don't worry about you. And it was like the the best thing ever. (laughs) It was, it made me feel so good. She was like, you're gonna be fine. I'm not worried. And it was like so calming for me. And I've used it back mm. to her now because when someone knows you really well, it's almost the best thing you can say. It's like, it's actually really stressful when someone's like, I'm here for you. Yeah. Are you going to do yeah. No, like you're like, shit. What are we going to do? Make it. Like, <laughs> but I think you're that- concerned that this is going to be bad. You know, when someone's like, I know you and I'm not worried. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah. You're going to be fine is is what we all kind of say that that's the standard. Like, I'm not worried about you is there's something different about that that really like hit me in a way that that makes me it's like a more certain you're going to be fine. Yes. And it's like, I know you well enough not to be worried. I'm not worried. I know your character. I know who you are. I'm reflecting back to you that you are the kind of person who's going to be okay. Yes. It's like that thing you always say, Glenn, I see your thing and that's big. (laughs) But I see you and you're bigger. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's going to be all right. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to use that with that. my kids, except I'll be like, I'm not worried about you. Everything's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm worried about everything. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So when things get wild and you get stressed out or you get sad or you get, I have a list that I have my healthy coping strategies and my unhealthy coping strategies. Uh, actually on guess my which well. list is longer yeah guess which <laughs> list is 
So I know like my unhealthy ones are booze and binging and, you know, the things that took me down and made me abandon myself and made everything shit. And then I have healthier coping strategies, which are usually very simple things that I can do around my house. So do you know off the bat, what's an unhealthy coping strategy for you and what's a healthy coping strategy for you? Mm, Yeah. Probably unhealthy is work, like working Mm -hmm. too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And like if we're doing one (laughs) Um, healthy, oh my God, I'm such a dork. I watch a lot of like um, food television when I'm stressed out and it really calms me down. (laughs) So like my husband will come home and he'll be like, it's been a bad day because Uh. I'm like watching like Iron Chef. (laughs) He's like, what happened? You know, (laughs) it like calms Mm. my, like, like everything calms down and I stop spiraling about whatever I'm spiraling about. I feel really relaxed. It's really, really dorky. And I love it though. It's like a show about (laughs) nourishing yourself, right? Like you're watching people making things that nourish people. And it also, Very the stakes essential. are low. The stakes are low. TV is so scary. And I mean, except Iron cooking, Chef. Well, but most of the time, <laughs> the worst thing that's going to happen is this soup's going to get ruined. Yes. Right? And they like, they like ramp it up so it feels stressful with like music and effects. But really, it's like, nothing. everyone's going to eat something good at the end of the day. Yeah. It's like, it's all good. Yeah. That's a good one. I'm gonna, if it I'm makes it, you feel better, Natalie, that would have been on my healthy list. <laughs> no, that is her healthy list. That is her healthy. That is her healthy. I thought you were saying that was your unhealthy. No, no, and I was like, my healthy. The unhealthy is like the workaholism. I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. I mean, I love working when it's like, because right. I'm just really stoked about being there. But if right. it's because I'm like, I need to accomplish this, this mm-hmm. and that or whatever, then I think it's like an unhealthy Okay. Yeah, that makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do for fun? Besides Iron Chef. I mean, it's a lot of Iron Chef and Top <laughs> Chef and Master Chef oh, and okay. Master Chef Junior. <laughs> I'm like, my husband's like, you're watching Master Chef Junior by yourself. <laughs> Code red. It's a, Code it's red. Children competing <laughs> in cooking. Um, but I love that they're so talented. It's so moving. I cry. <laughs> Uh, I love being outside. I love doing anything outside. So I go hiking with friends, two of my best friends from high school. We just, we went on like a big hiking trip in Bryce and Zion. And that was like amazing, dreamy, like best time of my life. The Um, hoodoos. Did you see the hoodoos? Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. That's probably like my favorite thing to do is just like, with friends in that kind of environment or my kids that's the best Mm. so yeah that's my biggest can we just have a moment of appreciation for the fact that you just said you're two best friends from high school so Mm. you have managed over the course of your wildly prolific life to keep best friends from high school that's incredible I guess so. I mean, I get what I think is more remarkable is that like I met such awesome people that long ago and in that space, Mm -hmm. I think it's so rare that you can meet anyone at that age that you're still like super interested in whatever 30 years later. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a gift. But yeah, but also I feel like it's kind of natural to, I don't know, when you have 
a lot of people wanting to be around you for reasons that are like impure (laughs) to like hold on tight as you can to the people you've known the longest to be like, stick by me and keep me honest, you know, tell me, tell me what's up. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Well, I just, I don't know. Thank you for just always being so present and always bringing your full self to every interaction you're in. Like whether it's like a phone call about Angel City or an hour long podcast or a new movie, the way you are with your friends and your babies. We adore you. Thank you for you. Uh, Feeling is mutual. Thank you so much. It was so, so great to talk to you. And I hope we get to hang soon. And Thor is out tomorrow. So everyone will see it. It's so exciting. And you go watch MasterChef with your babies. And um, we will talk soon. And to the rest of you. Watch it. It's so relaxing. Okay. (laughs) We will. We're going to watch it. Thanks for being here, Big Boss. We love you. We love you, Big Boss. You Big Bosses. Thank you. (laughs) And we love you, Pod Squad. We'll see you next time. Bye. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine.